Thank you. Abby, was that not the most beautiful reader you've ever seen? My goodness. Uh, for those of you that are new, that's my wife. That's not like a super weird statement. Uh, just, to, just to clarify. Um, as I light the candle here, there's a couple that, uh, that uh, goes here. They've, they've gone here really from the beginning of Summit. And there are, there are multiple couples like this. They're in vocational ministry. They work for an organization called Pioneers. Their names are uh, Vance and Patty Woodyard. And Pioneers uh, is an organization, and Vance and Patty specifically have spent years going to people that lived in, live in uh, oftentimes very remote places with unique languages and cultures uh, in hopes uh, that, that they could share the gospel because they go to people that have never heard the gospel before. They've never heard of Jesus. They've never heard of Christ. They don't know. They've never heard this message before. And so they, they go, they, they spend sometimes years and, and maybe even more than that uh, trying to learn culture and languages and, and eventually, hopefully, be able to share this story, this Christmas story that, that we're talking about this evening with people that have never heard it before. Their faithfulness is one thing. I mean, I, to give decades to that work is, is just incredible, but, but their work in and of itself is another thing. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine, or at least it's hard for me, uh, to imagine that there, that there are people even today in places that have never heard the gospel before. It's hard for us to imagine, or at least hard for me to imagine, because whether you're a Christian or not, whether you uh, grew up going to church or not, whether you come at Christmas uh, to, to a service or not, you, you hear the gospel or the good news. You hear about Emmanuel. You hear about God with us, that God showed up for us in this world, and he showed up as a baby in a manger, and that's supposed to somehow matter to us. We hear that. But there are places in this world and people in this world, even today, that have never heard the story of Christmas. It's amazing to me. And in some ways, I, I, as I come to, to Christmas, I wonder what it would be like if I heard it for the first time again. Would it sound different? If I was hearing it for the first time this evening, the story of Christmas, would it sound different? Part of what we do here in preparing for Christmas is we spend a lot of time thinking about how do we make this Christmas message sound unique, sound different, so that it could be more engaging, so that we could all move toward what God has for us more energetically. And I think that's absolutely worthwhile. That work, that, that time spent thinking is worth it because I think there, there are so many layers that you can continue to peel back when the finite is trying to understand something infinite. But when it comes down to it, I think this message, this message of Christmas, is already so fantastic. It's already so exciting. God became a human. The creator of the universe who spun everything we see and touch and taste and feel into existence, his love was so big that, that he became our neighbor. He moved into our neighborhood. That is an incredible reality. That is an incredible truth to ponder. God became a person so that we could relate to him. And he comes as a, as a child, as a baby, as, as the most vulnerable to the vulnerable, which is us. John chapter 1, which we just heard, verse 14, puts it this way. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. See, if he came with just truth, he would have come with the judge's gavel in his hand, but he came with grace and truth. So he came as an infant so that no one would be scared to come to him, 
so that we would be willing unfearfully to draw near the gift of God on display. You must be loved an awful lot to have God act that way for you. Imagine hearing that for the first time, that you're loved that much. So thinking about people who have never heard the, the gospel, the good news, this Christmas story, and thinking about us here tonight, I think it's worth us trying to hear it for the first time. See if it sounds different. So let's hear the gospel according to Luke for the first time again. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that, was t- that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, and she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths, And lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and they found Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, They spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had told them. This is God's word. So Luke historically records, and John in his gospel poetically states that when Jesus shows up, when he's born in a manger, God packed up and he came down. John says in his opening that, the word, the very essence of God, God's character personified, became flesh and dwelt among us. And in him is life, and that life is a light to all. And it was a light that stepped into darkness, and although that darkness couldn't understand it, the darkness also could not overcome it. See, the birth of Jesus shows us something really important about God. He isn't a disinterested third party in creation. He's willing to come and dwell with us, broken, imperfect, messed up people. And a lot of us are unfamiliar with that type of love. We're more familiar with the type of love that says, if I get myself together, then I'll be worthy of love and people will love me. But, but God shows us a very different type of love. The creator of the universe came when we were still a mess. Christmas reminds us that we don't have to be unfamiliar with that type of love. In fact, we're meant to be very familiar with it. We're meant to be familiar with a God who is infinite, recognizing that we who are finite, we can't pierce infinity on our own. So he gave up infinity. He gave up his eternal moorings for a moment. And he put on mortal flesh. He became finite so that we would have a way to dwell with him, not for a short period of time, but for infinity. That, that is what happened in the manger. 
That's the good news of great joy for all people. That is what the angels were singing about, and that is what the shepherds went to go see, God with us. See, Christmas isn't something that can or should be conveniently dismissed as warm sentimentality. Although, honestly, for me, I love that stuff. I love Christmas Eve pajamas and Christmas morning casseroles and Bing Crosby on vinyl. I love that stuff. But Christmas is either a celebration of God come down to and for us, or it is as arbitrary as hanging up socks in our living room. It can't be both. No, Christmas is about us being disrupted by a gift, the gift of God showing up to win us back. Because the one lying in the manger, the light of the world, is also the one who would go to the cross. See, the gift isn't just an infant coming. It's God showing up to make things right. As it says in Colossians 1, the image of the invisible God who was before all things and in him all things hold together. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, the one in the manger. And through him reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. Remember what the angels were singing about. Through his blood shed on a cross. And here's the hard truth. We needed him to do it. We needed him to show up, and we needed him to go there. See, we need light to recognize when there is darkness. Remember when you were a kid, and you were outside playing, and your mom would, or your dad or somebody would call out to you, hey, it's getting dark. It's time to come in, maybe for dinner or whatever. It's getting dark. It's time to come in. Uh, my brother and I used to play basketball all the time, pretty much every evening. Uh, growing up in Indiana, it's a requirement. It's, it's like you do your homework and then you go play basketball. And my mom would call out when it's dark, hey, it's time to come in. And uh, we would always think, it's still light. We can still see the goal. We can still see the hoop. That's what real basketball players call it, the hoop. I can still see the hoop. Um, but you didn't want to get grounded for like three years and never get to play basketball again, so you, you listened to your mom. And so we would go in and be like, oh, once we got into the light, we would say, oh, my gosh, it actually was it was pretty dark outside. I remember one time specifically we didn't listen to my mom. She yelled out, hey, it's getting dark, time to come in. And uh, we both, my brother and I, we said to each other, it's not that dark, uh, let's play a little bit more. And uh, right about that time, I mean, seconds later, my brother whips a bullet pass. I mean, a beautiful, crisp pass. I mean, Larry Bird uh, style pass. I mean, if you're from this decade, a Chris Paul type pass. Uh, it, it, I mean, it was, it was crisp and it was nice. And he's never thrown a pass before or since that's been that good. And he's throwing it right at my hands. But the problem is it's dark and I don't recognize it. So what does it hit my hands? No, it hits my squishable little face. <laughs> Two things I thought of in that moment. Anybody know what the first thing I thought was? Ow. Ow, that was my kids. It's like, oh, we've been to church like five times. Uh, <laughs> Ow was the first thing. The second thing was, though, I think my mom was right. I think it was dark. And then we went inside with my swollen nose, and, and I realized it's much more light inside. Part of what stepping, light stepping into this world does is it illuminates how dark things are. When Jesus is born in a manger, when the, the life that is the light to all people stepped into this world, it illuminates things. We get to see things more clearly that we can't see in the dark. It illuminates who we are and who we are not in equal proportion. It illuminates who we are, but also who we are not in equal proportion. And this is extremely helpful clarity if you're willing to step into that light. See, when you step in 
to that light. When you get near the one who showed up in the manger, you get to see that you are loved. We are loved beyond what we can imagine. There can be no doubt of that. His showing up proves it to be true. But it's also important to recognize who we are not as well. It's probably stated most clearly who we are and who we are not by John, Jesus' cousin, the Baptist. In John 1, the gospel writer says this, he, John the Baptist, did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. People asked him, are you a prophet? He said, no, I'm not a, I'm not a prophet. But he responded in the words of Isaiah, he said, I'm a voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. John said, listen, uh, I might know a few things. I might have people that follow me, that listen to me. I might have some power, some authority. But he says, I'm not the Savior, and I don't have to pretend. My job is to point people to the one who saves, to point to the one who brings light. See, we get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we think we can fix ourselves or each other or we think we can clean up enough to, to save ourselves just because we can manage our households or our finances or a few employees, if we can even do that. That doesn't mean that we can get ourselves back in right relationship with the Holy God. We can't. That's why Jesus came. See, if we stay in the darkness, there are a few things that we can do there in the darkness. We can, we can pretend even though it's difficult to pretend we're, we're someone we're not, we can pretend there, but it's exhausting, honestly. It's exhausting to try to pretend that you always have all the answers, that, that you can always make things right, that you always have an explanation for how things are. Also in the darkness, you can hide. You can hide from who you are. You can hide from the fact that you're imperfect. You can hide from the fact that you get scared. You can hide from the fact that, that you don't have it all together. You can hide in the truth that you lean on lesser things, even harmful things, to get just a bit of relief. But see, this hiding and this pretending, it's not the best option. But we need light to see that. John was one of the greatest men to ever live. Jesus himself said it. He said, there's, there's no one better than John. But even John says, I can't save you. All I can do is point through the darkness to the light that's breaking in. And part of why John could do this is because he knew he needed a Savior and he knew he wasn't it. John knew that the peace he needed, the peace the angels sang to the shepherds about, didn't come from whatever he can muster up for himself, whatever he can build for himself, whatever he can create for himself. No, it came, the peace he needed and the peace we need, from a baby in a manger. One of the most dangerous things we can do is think that we can fix ourselves or polish ourselves up enough to be presentable and acceptable to God. That's a lie. And it will keep us away from the gift. The light shows us who we are. We are loved beyond what we can imagine, but the light also shows us we need. God knew we couldn't fix ourselves or couldn't fix each other. That's why he came. And he came specifically to a dirty manger, a place where animals feed. And you know why? Because he needed us to know that our mess isn't too much for him to enter into. He actually came for that very purpose, to enter into whatever mess we find ourselves in. And he came to bring peace and grace and truth into it. See, if he was full of just truth, that's one thing. But if he's full of grace and truth, that is something completely different. 
It means he isn't just right. It means we need his rightness to fill the gap for where we aren't. There's a, a story I heard a bunch of years ago now uh, that, that gets told around this time of year. It's told in our household quite a bit. It's about a Christmas tree farmer. Uh, and it goes something like this. There's a man who owned a Christmas tree farm, and he and his family would tend the farm and the trees in the farm every year, lovingly caring for them to where uh, eventually when they would grow, people from the community would come and, and they, would, they would cut those trees down and they would use them as, as their Christmas trees. And so everyone in the community knew about this farm and they loved these farmers and this family, uh, and it was this big celebration uh, every time of year when they opened up. But there was one tree in the, in the Christmas tree farm that was marked not for sale. It had a tag on it. It said not for sale because it was, it was just so perfect and so beautiful. And the, and the farmer loved it so much and his family loved it so much. And it was, and it was just, it continued to grow great, uh, straight and, and true and, and perfect. And, and so it was marked not for sale. So people would come every year to the Christmas tree farm and they would see this tree and they would walk over to it and say, man, this is such a nice tree. Is there any way that you'd sell it this year? And the farmer would always say, no, it's, it's just not for sale. And they'd go off and they'd find another tree. One year after the tree had, had grown so perfect and, and so straight and so true, a family pulls up in a, in a raggedy old car. It's barely running, had a hard time making it up the hill. And a family steps out of the car once they get it parked. And it's a, a husband, a wife, and a, and a little girl. And they get out in tattered clothes. It was pretty clear that, that life hadn't been real easy for them. And they headed to a part of the Christmas tree farm where all the trees were, were kind of ratty, broken or crooked or, or just small, undersized. They all look like Charlie Brown Christmas trees, you know. Uh, and, and they headed there because that was the part of the, of the Christmas tree farm where you could just take those trees for free because they weren't good enough to, to sell to the community. But that's all the family could afford. And so they went to this section and they were kind of overwhelmed by it, the husband and wife, because they, this wasn't what they dreamed of in terms of a Christmas tree, but this is the best they could afford. And as they were pondering these, these broken and crooked trees, the little girl kind of skirts away. She kind of heads off, sneaks away. But they hear her yelling, oh, daddy, please come see this tree. Mom, dad, come see this tree. And so they, they kind of weave through the trees, and they find her standing in front of the not-for-sale tree. And she says, she says, look at this tree, it's perfect. Can we get this tree? Can we please have this tree? Please, please, can we have this tree? And the, the husband and wife, they get embarrassed because they realize even if, even if it was for sale, there's no way they could afford it. But it wasn't for sale. And they said, no, sweetie, we can't. And they were trying to explain it to her, but the little girl didn't understand. And so about this time, the farmer hears the commotion. And he comes over and says, what's going on? And the, the couple embarrassed, they say, well, our daughter's really in love with this tree, and we're trying to explain to her that we, that we, that we can't buy it. And, and the little girl looks up to the farmer and says, can we please buy this tree? We really, I want this tree. Can we buy this tree? And the farmer bends down, really sweet, really kind, and says, I'm sorry, sweetie, this tree's not for sale. And then he gets a little closer, and almost in a whisper to the little girl specifically, he says, but I want you to have it as a gift. And the little girl jumps for joy, and the mom and dad, they start to, to cry, and with tears in their eyes, the farmer cuts down the tree and gives them the gift of something that they could never afford on their own, the gift of a perfect tree. 
the good news that will cause great joy isn't just that a baby was born in a manger. It's that Jesus being born in a manger shows us that we're offered an extraordinary gift, a gift that sheds light on who we are and who we are not. As 1 John 4 says that this is how God shows his love for us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love, John says. Not that we first loved God, but that he loved us and gave himself up for us. He sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for us. We are loved beyond imagine. Of that there can be no doubt. But we can't save ourselves. We need him. So we came as the most vulnerable to the most vulnerable, which is us. And he came as a child, a baby, as love's pure light, given up for us. Isn't that exciting? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you gave. That you aren't a creator that sits at a distance and folds your arms and says, deal with it yourself. But you saw our need and you provided a way for us, not by fixing it from a distance, but entering into it with us. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you came as light, not just to point out our darkness, but to overcome it. God, I pray that we remember that you offer us, you came to us as an extraordinary gift when you showed up. And help us again or for the first time receive that gift. Let the gift of light and life that you offer us, let it change us so that we might point others to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.